to the Sojourn Church Podcast. We are glad you are here, and thanks for listening. As a church, we exist to exalt and enjoy the supremacy of Jesus Christ in all things, equip the saints, and extend the gospel to all people by reproducing disciples and churches for the glory of God. More information about the life and mission of Sojourn Church can be found at SojournTulsa.org. That's S-O-J-O-U-R-N Tulsa.org. We are going to be picking back up in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, um, verses 5 through 11 today. So if you want to turn your Bible or um, open your device, and uh, we'll have most of the um, scriptures on the screen as well. So what we've seen last week, just doing a quick recap, was that um, in those first um, four verses that, that God is our comforter. What Paul wanted to establish there was this idea that God is our comforter um, and that God's comfort to us um, is to be able to be shared and it leads to us sharing God's comfort with others in this church in Corinth with this first um, address in the letter. And what we've learned so far about the people and the culture of Corinth was that they were obsessed with status. If you remember, we, we learned about the, the makeup of the city, how they'd pulled up their bootstraps and rebuilt this city over the last hundred years. Um, they had a desire for achievement and success and worldly prominence. Now, you probably know someone like that, right? Um, there was unlimited opportunities for advancement and wealth. Um, there was a range of diversity in ethnicity, in socioeconomic class, uh, also in the church, the spiritual maturity, which is always, that should be present in any church. Uh, I think we have this idea that, that if you go to the right church, then everyone's of spiritual maturity and there's only two ladies who really hurt your feelings, right? And there's only two guys who really are jerks. When reality is God says no, his evidence is no, look at the churches of the New Testament. They're a mess. They're a range for, of maturity. Um, and even as we get to places of knowing more knowledge about God and having bullet points of knowledge about God, we still sin. And we kind of get to this point that in, in our circle sometimes that we think if we just have more and more and more and more knowledge, we won't do that. And, and that's not the case because then you wouldn't need Christ. You would just need more knowledge points, right? And so um, there was a range of diversity and spiritual maturity. The church itself was a wreck. They had divisions, immorality, pride, lawsuits, lawsuits against each other. There was favoritism over the rich, and they, they marginalized the poor, didn't want anything to do with the poor. Um, they had disruptive worship services. There were arguments. There was spiritual pride and much more. Plus, what we're learning from this letter is that there were some distractors and destroyers of the true Jesus and the true gospel. As we looked last week, we saw in 2 Corinthians 11 when he said, um, some of you are, are, have laid down the true Jesus for another Jesus. Some of you have laid down the spirit that was given to you for another spirit. Some of you have laid down the, the true gospel for another gospel. What's happened? And so that's what we saw last week. So there were some people who had um, distracted them from the true gospel. Um, as we look this week, I want us to see um, what Paul's getting through this in, in chapter 1, verse 5, is, is kind of the um, verse that opens it up. So if you want to um, look there with me, we're going to read 5 through 11, chapter 1, verse 5 through 11. And as I said, uh, verse 5, I believe, is where everything flows out of this. Um, and we'll talk a little bit more about this after we read. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ... 
we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction that we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. You also must help us by prayer so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. So, Father, we come to you um, giving prayer, as Paul instructed this church in Corinth, this people, the immediate audience. We pray as a people that were reached through that same gospel, through that same message being spread, through your faithfulness of getting the gospel to other generations, through your faithfulness of Acts 1-8, through your faithfulness in the Great Commission. And God, would you allow us to receive this word and to be strengthened in whatever we're going through, whether that's afflictions or comforts, whether that's afflictions or um, pleasures. Would you allow us to be a strengthened people so that we would be faithful with the gospel as Acts 1-8 and Matthew 28 continue to spread in our generation? In your name we pray. Amen. So, um, as we're seeing this section, I want you to see that um, it starts out in verses um, 3 there saying, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we already covered that last week, but I wanted you to see that that's the focal point. He's saying, Corinthian church, Blessed be God. And that word just is this picture of this happy God. This, this God that's enjoyable and enjoying even in the midst of all that they're going through, and how would a God be able to enjoy a church that's such a mess, a church that's got so many bad problems? And he's wanting them to know, here's this wonderful God that is enjoyable and enjoying even his people that are, that, that are just a mess. So blessed be this God, Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, and then he goes into this, this verse 5 where, where everything kind of flows out. That He kind of makes this, this, this clear statement about suffering and where we find our hope in the middle of suffering, how we get through that. And then the rest is some ripple effects that will flow out of that. And then he gives his own example in in verses 8 through 11. And so um, a good question to ask is, how does Christ and his gospel fit in as the focal point in this section? Um, And here's what I want you to see. What Paul's pointing them to see, and this, this would apply, so what afflictions are you going through right now? Well, what, what sufferings have you been going through, and how does the gospel fit into that? That's what we're always wanting to think through. Uh, not, can I get stronger so I don't need God anymore? How can I become more mature where I don't need God? I took the Jesus pill one day, and now I've been just working my tail off to be a better Christian. That, that's not the point of the Bible. That's not the point of the gospel. When you're going through good times, bad times, horrible times, um, testing times, looking to Christ, enjoying him, finding your rest in him is what he wanted. He didn't want a whole bunch of people who no longer needed him. He wanted us to know him and learn him and the rhythms of his grace in the middle of those things. And so 
how does the gospel, and where do we find Jesus in this? And so what, what you can see very clearly is Jesus, in all his extreme afflictions, in his extreme sufferings, um, his suffering on the cross, most pointedly, um, that is where we can go and be found in Christ. So part of our being in Christ is not just, well, in the future I get to be resurrected and go to heaven. No, it's in your suffering I can look to Christ because he went through suffering. So you're going through suffering, what would Paul be saying to us? So look at Christ. Rest in him. His sufferings were much worse, and he will be with you in the middle of this. So it doesn't end there at the cross either. His resurrection, we see the reality of his living presence with us. Hey, you 11, I know Judas just hanged himself. It's going to be better that I'm going to the Father. And what were they thinking? No, it's not. No, it's not. You're, you're the miracle worker. And he's going, Yes, it's going to be better that I go. In the wisdom of the Godhead, the greatest thing now is for me to be absent from you in the flesh and the Spirit to come to all of you. Had the Spirit come on all people before? No. Had the, had the Spirit filled all believers before? No. It was intermittently, right? The greatest plan for God was the Spirit's going to come and fill you. You're going to be strengthened without my body present because I can't be present with you in a physical body in Tulsa at the same time that I'm present with some people from Haiti that's trying to cross the, the Rio Grande River in Texas or the people that are in the, in the Middle East that are going through extreme persecutions or the people in China where they've kicked out all missionaries. I can't be with you in a physical body. The, the smartest, most brilliant thing I can do is send my spirit. And so... He shows us that our ultimate comfort that we can have would be the hope of eternal life where there's no sin, no hurt, no affliction, no suffering. And that comes with some comfort as well. But we have Christ with us now in our afflictions through the Spirit. We're going to see that. So the big backdrop there, as you can see, is that that praise to God for his comfort in verses 3 through 4. And then in verse 5, I believe it's the central verse, the the main verse, and a 9b is a a, a really powerful one also, but this central verse is where we connect God's provision into our affliction. In verses 6 and 7, he's saying, here's the, here's the spiritual ripple effect of that. It's for your good, and it's also for God's glory. And then in verses 8 through 9, Paul's example, uh, 9b being the point verse, the, the purpose of affliction, is that in their own lives how they have experienced this. Paul has experienced this. So connecting the dots, in the midst of affliction and suffering, we can go to Christ, who has been there himself in, in much worse situations, who is present with us through the Spirit in our times of affliction. So um, let's look at this verse 5. Let's break that down. That, that first point that I had there in verse 5, our sufferings, or I'll, I'll give you the three points under that uh, verse 5. Our sufferings are Christ's sufferings. It's because of our union and our identity with Christ. The first thing that you're going to see there, notice that it, this is Christ's suffering. Paul says the sufferings you're going through, it's Christ's sufferings. It's just not just you. The second thing, this comfort in suffering comes through Christ. And we're going to look at... Um, how that, what, what he means by that and what he doesn't mean by that. And then third, if you share in an abundance of Christ's sufferings, you will also share in an abundance of Christ's comfort. So look in verse 5. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, when you're going through difficult times, do you immediately go, oh, this is, this is because of Christ. This is, I'm going through this because of Christ's sufferings. 
Now, don't get that confused with you made some horrible, dumb choices, and now you're suffering for it. You're going 75 and a 55, and you got pulled over. Don't, don't sit there and like, oh, man, this, this, I'm just suffering for the gospel, just, just suffering. No, you're an idiot. You're going 75 and a 55, right? So don't think that. Or, you know, you're like, oh, man, we, we forgot to pay our electric bill. Um, one time we were had, having some people over uh, for, uh, I think it was like a game night or something, and, uh, and, and literally like about an hour before the people got there, our TV didn't work, like our, it didn't work. And so we were like, what in the world? We went through all these steps. And then Jamie like looked and she's like, uh, I found the bill over here. And so we were like 20 minutes late because we had to get online and pay the bill for whatever it was, you know, and that was years ago. Um, and so um, uh, when you make idiotic choices, don't put that off on Christ's suffering, Right. And so he's talking about when you're suffering clearly for the will of God, and that can be a lot of things. Some of the choices that you make are because you have these convictions, and you will suffer for some of those things, right? Um, so those are Christ's suffering, and they are tied to our identity being wrapped in Christ. Um, this is part, it's not all, but it's part of what it means to be in Christ. So this does not mean that Paul's sufferings or our sufferings or anyone else's sufferings are helping Christ's suffering. So when you read that, and it says, for as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, um, don't think that, oh, I'm, I'm adding to the merit that Christ earned. So it is not, it is not. Jesus suffered on the cross. That was almost enough. But now the sufferings that we have, that's helping salvation. That's not it at all. So, so there have been, just know, through the centuries, there's been people that have thought that. And so that is, not, uh, that is not that at all. We do not add anything to help with salvation. It's not Jesus suffering on the cross plus our sufferings. Paul had this category of suffering that we can't even identify with as believers. Um, look in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 11. Um, here's just some things that Paul went through. This is much later. And there's, some, there's some context there as he's comparing himself with these super apostles. And he's saying, are they Hebrews? This is a uh, 2 Corinthians 11, 22 through 29. Uh, so am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they the offspring of Abraham? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I'm a better one. I'm talking like a madman here with, with far greater labors, far more imprisonments, far more imprisonment. Like that, that, that's, the, that's the entry. Like the, the first one is just far more imprisonment. Not, not one. I was in prison one time, but far more imprisonments with countless beatings. Like, I just walk away from that conversation at that point. I'm just like, I'm going to get something to drink over here. Because, he, like, he's, like, I have no idea. And, and I, I can go into self-pity parties easily. And Paul's not doing a self-pity party. He's actually doing this to show his identification with Christ. He's, he's saying, I'm embracing the suffering of Christ and embracing the, the persecutions I've had. Often, not once, but often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes less one. 39 strippings. Just those, those, just those, those whippings. Those guys, that was their full-time job. The guy that did that, those lashes, that was his full-time job. When he wasn't whipping someone, he was practicing hurting someone, getting close enough to take their life. Five times. A night and a day I was adrift. I'm sorry. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Not the new CBD time. It, three times I was shipwrecked. Can you imagine being shipwrecked three times? A anyone been out in the ocean just a little bit further where you kind of get a little bit nervous? Like, we're a long ways off. 
Uh, one time my father-in-law, father-in-law and I went fishing and we drifted out and we were doing some drift fishing in this little is a um, center console boat and we get out there and the wind kind of built up and you know in the ocean it, it can build up storms really quickly and in, in the middle of that um, this storm kind of raised up and, and then the wind started blowing. Thankfully the wind started blowing about 25 miles an hour towards shore. Because we stayed out for about another hour, and we had been going for a while, and then he tried to start the boat up, and it wouldn't start. And it wouldn't start. And I just remember thinking, like, I can barely see land over there, and it wouldn't start. And I love the ocean. All of a sudden, I did not love the ocean. I felt tiny and small and weak and scared, and I love, love, love the ocean. And this wasn't a shipwreck. I was completely safe. We, we had phones. I didn't know if they were going to work. This was probably like in 2001 or 2002. And he kept turning and kept turning, wouldn't start. And then he looked and said, oh, man, it looks like we're out of gas. And the, and the gas tank sits above under the seats. You can see completely out of gas. 25-mile-an-hour winds, thankfully, blowing us into shore. So it took about two hours for us just to blow back in. Never shipwrecked. That, that's about the closest I ever want to be. Paul says, hey, just, just passing through here, I've been shipwrecked three times. A night and a day I was adrift at sea, on frequent journeys, in danger from rivers. This guy even had rivers attacking him. You ever had that? Danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship through many sleepless nights, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from those, those things, there's the daily pressure on me of my anxiety, my care for all the churches. Who's weak and I'm not weak? So again, you don't want to sit down by Paul. You might want to wait about 10,000, 20,000 years. You don't want to pull up to him with your, yeah, I had this wisdom tooth pulled. I think it's Brian Regan, the, the, the funny story about the, don't pull your one wisdom tooth story out to some people because they're like, oh, that ain't nothing. As soon as you pull out your story of how, how bad your week was, oh, that ain't nothing. Uh, so 20,000 years before I sit down beside Paul, you know, start talking about our, our rough times when our AC went out. So Paul had a whole different category of suffering and, and affliction. And all of these, every moment of these afflictions were due to his identification with Christ. So this wasn't, this list for Paul wasn't bad decisions. It wasn't bad decisions based on more comfort or does this benefit me? It was, what must we do to get the gospel out to more people? Christ is calling me to this very clearly, the Holy Spirit, and Jesus was speaking to Paul clearly, not like we hear from him, uh, like in an audible voice. And so we are usually very shocked and surprised when affliction hits our lives, right? That's not a part of your plan. That's not a part of your life trajectory. How could this happen? Why did this happen? Surely God can see how good I am, how hard I'm trying, uh, how I'm trying to live for him, especially compared to those other people in our church. How could all this happen? And we're surprised and shocked by it, but, but look what Paul's saying clearly in many of his epistles. Look what Peter says in 1 Peter 4.12. What does the Bible t- say about this? Christ's suffering should be expected. Look at this in, in 1 Peter 4. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery, fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. Don't be surprised. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's suffering. Same thing Paul's saying here. That you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. 
That doesn't mean, so what, what it doesn't mean, so I've been in places, I've heard people say that this situation hits, and so you should just be full of joy. You should just be full of joy. Hey, man, that's our second miscarriage. And this was, was at the, at the five-month part. And they had to go in and remove the baby. Just, just be joyful. Just rejoice. That's not what it's saying. Don't listen to people like that. Rejoice insofar as you share in the suffering. Like, I know there's something bigger here. It's not all about me and what I thought was supposed to happen. And I, I'm not going to be fake and joyful in this, but I do have a hope. The rest of that says, insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. I know one day it's going to make sense. I'm going to understand why tears were produced. I'm going to understand why hurt was produced there. And so um, this idea of Paul saying, I embrace the sufferings. So think through, how does that fit with your future plans? Um, did you think you were signing on for just an, an for, for, you were signing on to Christ, but, but never an abundance of afflictions? Because Paul's saying, the given to me is there's an abundance of afflictions, but there's also an abundance of comfort. And we're going to look at that later on. So remember, these are Christ's sufferings. This is your union with Christ. The second thing is this comfort comes through Christ. So this is not merely emotional coping. It's not just some emotional coping. In the last 30 years, um, there's been a, an emphasis on felt needs over the last 40, 50 years from Robert Schuller and the Crystal Cathedral to the church growth movement. And they realize, hey, if you want to grow big churches, get the message out that, do you feel sad and depressed? Do you have a low self-esteem? We've got an answer for you. And so they, they used pop psychology because it was working in, in the psychology world, in the counseling world, and they said, people have felt needs. They feel sad. They feel depressed. They feel anxious. They feel worried. They feel scared. And so let's, let's, let's kind of use a couple of proverbs or no scripture and just tell people that, that, you know, find the good inside you. You're a better person. You can succeed. You can kill it. It's all inside you. And, you know, and, and then let, let's add this at the end, just that, you know, in, in Christ I can do all things. I want to be a multimillionaire and start this new business. In Christ, I can do all things. And just put that as your little tagline on your business motto, and, and, and then God has to do it. He's obligated. You, you called his name out. That's not what's going on here. So the comfort is through Christ. It's not through these other things. Um, notice, notice the wording there. Um, I've got to find my verse. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share. Notice this, it's a supernatural process. So again, when you go into afflictions and things hit your life, do you think right away, man, there's a supernatural help that maybe I'm not tuning into. There's a supernatural help. This, is, this has been allowed by God to happen. And now there's supernatural help through Christ, through the spirit of Christ in us and for us to strengthen us and so we forget that it's outside of us that it's it's beyond our weakness. He knows you're weak. What we do is we we resist it. We don't want it. We don't know how to access it because we we do everything except embrace it. And that was what Paul was getting across to the Corinthians there. Um, so it's not just a coping mechanism. Learn that it's supernatural help. It's through Christ. Where are you turning when that when that event hits? And it's also not a comfort through the removal of affliction. That, that's usually our first, first choice in, in first prayer and tenth prayer is, God, will you just remove this situation? My coworker, my boss, my spouse, the, these people, 
the horrible things going on with this part of our government. Just remove it. Just remove the situation I'm in. And God's going, that, that's not the deal. That's not the deal. Um, God does not and is not obligated to deliver us out of affliction. It's very popular in Tulsa. To, to, the teaching has been for 40, 50 years, and this attracts people, that if any bad thing hits your life, first of all, is there sin? Or second of all, do you not have enough faith? Because in the name of Jesus, name it and claim it, and, and you, you'll be ripped out of that. And that's not what Paul's saying here. He's going, look, did you see the list in 2 Corinthians 11? I don't know how you go along with the prosperity gospel and just read 2 Corinthians 11 there and go, this blows that out of the water. Like this guy would clearly not even be a follower of God. Does he not have faith? Is there sin? What is it? So what Paul's saying here is there is strength to encourage us in the midst of affliction. Christianity does not profess to cure suffering immediately. Remember that. Christianity does not profess to cure suffering immediately. It professes to cure it ultimately at the end. No sin, no hurts, no, no more death, no more sickness, no more cancer. It does promise to use it for our good, and it does promise to bring a cure of Christ as our cure in the middle of it, not necessarily removing the affliction. So think through this. Since our sufferings are tied to our identity in Christ, so that verse, verse 5 there, this is Christ's sufferings, and they are further sufferings of Christ. Therefore, our comfort should be found in Christ. Since they're Christ's sufferings, the comfort, the healing would come from Christ also because it's a supernatural event that's going on. Meaning my affliction and wound and suffering is of a spiritual nature tied to the spiritual reality we live in. I'm suffering due to my identity in Christ. I will not be able to relieve the pain with something from the earthly nature. We tend to think consolation or comfort would come through a change of circumstances, but notice that is not God's operating system. He wants us to learn to trust and to find comfort and to rest in him in the middle of those afflictions. Now, this is difficult because as I've gone through these times, what, I'll just tell you what I usually feel. It's not truth. Remember, we have those categories. Here's my feelings. Here's truth. We need to, as Christians, learn to override feelings with truth. So truth overrides my feelings. Instead, I'm going through this. Here's how I feel. Therefore, this must be true. No, that's not true. I'm going through this rough time. That makes me feel really frustrated with the situation, and it makes me feel like God is not helping, and that's the new truth. God is not helping, and God does not care. No, that's not the way we do it. We go, I may feel that way, but the truth is God does care. The truth is God is with, is with me. And even though my circumstances may not change, the truth is overriding my feelings, and I am able to be strengthened and even not, not, not find flaky, superficial joy, but the joy in realizing this is because I'm tied with Christ. He told us we're going to suffer. He told us the world is going to be against us. He said, those who are going to follow me, you're going to go through suffering. What kind of, I mean, what part about Jesus do we not understand? Deny yourself. Take up your cross daily and follow me. I'm leaving you to be betrayed and be killed and slaughtered. And it's going to get just as bad for you guys. But stay in Jerusalem, and then the gospel is going to spread from there after you become martyrs. Any questions? Jesus, are you going to restore your kingdom now? Where's your military force? Boys, let's go through it again. This is the 60th time. I've been healing people, I've been slapped in the face, and you're still not getting it. And so we've got to see that um, what we usually experience is our feelings. We go through a circumstance, and what we feel like is God is silent. God is silent because you're not changing anything. So here, here's what he wants you to see, and you may have experienced this. 
It's not a matter of God is silent. It's, it, it, it does not mean when he's silent, he's not working or he's not moving or he's not changing hearts. Maybe the circumstance is your miserable job, you have to stay there 15 years. And he doesn't change the five coworkers that you hate. And maybe your 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 group of people, but you were sent there to be a gospel presence in the middle of difficult, sinful people, instead of just, hey God, will you just remove me from this pitiful pagan place and give me a Christian surrounding where all I'm surrounded by is just Christians? Well, that's pretty selfish and, and small focused if if that's all we want. When the gospel came to you and you didn't deserve it, and the gospel's trying to get to others and they don't deserve it. And so maybe we begin to see that he is changing hearts. Maybe he's changing our heart. Um, or, or he is changing circumstances, but you've learned that his grace comes in a tangible way in three months or six months or two years later. Does anyone experience that? But all the time he was sustaining you and you were learning his rhythms. You were learning to trust and walk. A year later, you've learned the rhythms of his grace. You've seen that huge mountain didn't really devastate you. Those people around you, they didn't destroy you. The situation that you're in, it didn't completely devastate your life and family. Now, um, it is through Christ that we share abundantly in this comfort too. So I, I know we don't want that. We, we, we want out of it. We want out of the situation. I know we don't understand why this is happening. Of course we don't want to learn him in the middle of affliction. We just want him to remove us from affliction. Of course we don't understand why it's happening. We want to praise God for a successful, prosperous, comfortable life with Christ on the side. And that's exactly what the Corinthians were doing. And most of them didn't even know Christ truly. And that's what Paul's trying to get across to them. Like, if you know Christ, you shouldn't think this is weird. So the third thing there is if you share in an abundance of Christ's sufferings, you will also share in an abundance of Christ's comfort. In verse 5 he says, For we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort. So think through, why do you get so frustrated when things don't go your way? In your marriage? People around your life? Circumstance, why do you get frustrated? Usually part of the answer is, if things just went like I wanted it to, it would bring me comfort. And I, I did, it took like 10 years of our little boys, the three boys, using our um, living room every single night, every hour there of, of like MMA or um, just, you know, like jujitsu um, or just scream when I'm trying to read or study or prepare and they're fighting and arguing. They're playing, they're loud, they're doing things. And I, and I would get so frustrated. Hey, boys, hey, guys. Oh, here's the problem. Someone has interrupted Sankey's kingdom. Sankey's little kingdom is not quiet and peaceful like a 40-year-old librarian reading another book over there on the side. They're, they're acting like 4-year-olds and 6-year-olds and 8-year-olds. And that's ridiculous in Sankey's kingdom. They should act like 40-year-old librarian people that are reading and studying. Why? Because Sankey's comfort is the idol and the God of my life at that moment. And the king steps in, Sankey, and says, You shall not act this way in Sankey's kingdom. And then God says, by the way, it's not your kingdom, and I made them that way, and you're just seeking comfort. And so we do that in so many ways. Why do we get frustrated? Because we're not getting the comfort that we like. So I would just say, so comfort that this is speaking at is completely different, but comfort is a huge idol for us that we don't even recognize. Our, our American society, anyone like Quick Trip? Like fast food, anyone frustrated when the app that you're clicking on doesn't work like it's supposed to? Like click, click, like what's the deal with these people? Are these idiots in the Silicon Valley? Uh, this, this is taking like 11 seconds. Uh, this is a ridiculous company. This is 2021. 
and it's been seven seconds. And I'm not even sure how that goes from my phone to a satellite up there and back down and someone's making a pizza in one minute. Like, I, I don't get that, but I'm ticked off when it's not happening in six or seven seconds. So that's, again, I'm not going to be talking to Paul at the picnic table in heaven about, hey, here's what it's like for us, man. Uh, they got my order wrong at uh, Simple Simon's one day, and I was just ticked the rest of the week. And that's what we deal with. This type of comfort from God through Christ, it's different than worldly, physical, pleasure-seeking comfort it's a comfort that is available, notice what Paul says, in abundance. So here's just a side note question. What do you tend to run to? What escape route do you run to? When you're seeking comfort. What escape path do you run to? Add some affliction, add a little bit of difficulty. What, what escape route do you run to? What's the escape target for you? Just know, so just real clearly, this goes really deep to the heart issue. There's an idol at your heart saying, I want lordship. Whatever that escape route is taking to, that is what's competing with Christ. Christ is saying here in this verse, this is me. You should be seeking me in affliction, and your heart is going, I'm going to run to this. I'm going to run to this path. When you're sad, depressed, afraid, bored, stressed, just realize the escape target and the escape path is what is competing with Christ and providing comfort when you should be running to him. So our sufferings are Christ's sufferings, and that's because of our identity with him. This comfort comes through Christ, not through being removed from the situation, and then also there is an abundance of comfort. Are you seeking it in the right way. Are you going to Christ or are you going to other things? All out of verse 5 there. So a beautiful thing. The ripple effect of that, look at verse 6 and 7. If we are afflicted, it's for your comfort and salvation. Again, this does not mean if you're going through suffering, you're now earning salvation because you're afflicted. He's not saying that, so just clarify. Again, there's been people in the past centuries that have taken that. Um, secondly, it's meaning that the, the gospel is on its way. The gospel made it to you. We went through all these trials and sufferings for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of Christ's glory, and now you're going through afflictions. It may mean that you're part of Christ and his identity. Some of the, the, the struggles that you're going through, church in Corinth, um, that's because uh, of the, the gospel itself, because of your unity in Christ. So if we are afflicted, it's for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Now notice that the end of verse 6 and verse 7. Remember Paul was the outsider, the, the outcast, the one out of the will of God. He was not the prominent professional. He was not the status guy. He was not the, the top class guy. He was not the eloquent speaker. They were looking at him as the despised one, the one that was, was not listened to, and these other voices were clouding in. And notice what Paul's doing. He's, he's slipping in. Hey, our sufferings, our sufferings, our sufferings. You've heard how I've suffered. Hey, aren't you suffering? Oh, you're suffering with Christ as well. So he's trying to make inroads to have authority to speak into their lives again. So he says there, um, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. Where, where's our comfort? God himself. So you're actually sharing in our suffering. You've despised uh, suffering. You've despised afflictions, thought it was out of the will of God, Corinthian church, because of these other voices that are telling you that would never happen. And I'm telling you, the very fact that you're suffering is showing that it's part of God's will. And, and we can meet you in the middle of that to show you that the comfort that we found is God himself. And that's the comfort that we'll share with you guys. 
So this crowd had the equation that affliction and suffering were not the will of God. Paul's putting them in the same boat to say, you're obviously suffering with the same afflictions. Our sufferings, you'll also share in our comfort. And these guys are going, no, Paul, we're, you're not part of us. You're not a part of us. And so he's just first part of the letter, getting that out there, like hey, joining them together. Um, verses 8 through 11, notice Paul's example so he goes on to show that here's, here's the ripple effects of that. You guys are going through suffering, and there is comfort for that, addressed in verse 5. And then 8 through 11, this Paul goes into his example and the lesson that Paul learned. For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experience in Asia. Now, this section right here, um, um, there's many scholars that debate that is this talking about some of the things that Paul has mentioned, like what we read in 2 Corinthians 11, that whole list of sufferings that we don't even want to talk to him about. Um, some people say that's referencing that. Others say it's, it's clearly a separate sec, set of list of uh, um, sufferings and afflictions. So when he says that, we don't want you to be unaware, brothers, of the afflictions we experience. Um, it could be those that we just listed out there in 11 or in other places. Um, some people believe that it's others, but no matter which, which, which it is, we know there's these lists. Um, but we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired life itself. And notice in verse 9, so that's why I said 9b is, is the kicker verse. Why was that? To make us rely not on ourselves, but on God. So again, let's go back to your affliction that you're facing. You're letting truth override feelings. You're realizing, oh, so this, this doesn't mean that God's not listening. doesn't mean God doesn't love me. doesn't mean that God doesn't care. doesn't also mean that, oh, I sinned, so now God's like spanking me with this. It may be discipline over, over pattern stuff, but it, not necessarily. And so now I'm also not only learning to let truth override feelings. I'm also learning, oh, this is a direct choice that we made to do this in life, and it's tied to our following Christ. And now there's some, some affliction, some difficulty coming because of that choice we made. So now we're, we're realizing this is the sufferings of Christ. And then you add that last part. It's to make us rely not on ourselves but on God. What happens when we get to the end of ourselves and we're completely crushed and feel completely powerless? Think through your American version of your, your life trajectory, why would God use suffering and affliction and his comfort as the means for people to experience him more? What does God get out of that? When you get into these places of being crushed and weakness, what does God get out of it? He, you're realizing, even though I think I'm a very competent, very intelligent, very capable, strong person because I'm an American, God says, oh, no, you're not. You can't fix this. You didn't even see this coming. And, and you cry like a baby quickly. And you need to see me as powerful and strong. And we don't like that. God gets glory and worship out of it. So let's flip it. Think honestly. What does God get when you strategize and, and spend some time on Saturdays and Sundays thinking through and, and your, your, your strategy for your finances, your strategy for your life, your strategy for your business, for your family, and you kill it and you get the promotion or the new job or you buy that object that maybe y'all have been working on and, and planning on and dreaming about for, for months or years. So what does God get out of that? Out of all of our successes and abilities and efforts? Not much. And you may do the Christianese thing when people go, oh, wow, that, that's a beautiful house. You're like, oh, oh, we'll just give glory to God. Okay, he got half a second. The rest of the time, you're just, just relaxing. The, the new car, the new, the new job promotion, whatever, and we, oh, well, we'll just, you know, just thankful to God. There you go. 
And that's not wrong. I'm not saying that's wrong. And again, the issue is not whether it's the house or the cars or the, 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 the new job or whatever. It's him going, you can have those things. And I'm the one who blessed you and made you that able and capable and intelligent and hardworking. But I want that to be a small part, what you get out of it. I want me to be the big part in the middle that you're appreciating and loving. Because in the middle of your nice house and nice car and a great job, guess what? I'm going to send some stuff that you're not prepared for. Some stuff that you think that you're wise and, and capable of dealing with, and you're not. So what does God get out of that? Not much. But what do we get out of it when we're pressed to inability and complete vulnerability and weakness? Nothing left to give. We get God himself. And all of a sudden, he looks strong again. He looks powerful again. We see in our, um, uh, in our, our complete weakness, we see in our... Um, um, and when we experience our um, impotence, we see God's omnipotence brought to the place of our own frailty and weakness, seeing anew how great God is. So do you work hard and plan and resist and hold off and fear and never want to be in the place of utter dependence on God? I mean, that's kind of part of the plan, isn't it? Like we can throw some Proverbs in on why it's wise to do this and why to do that and why to do this and why to do that. We fear it. We do not like being in the place of utter dependence on God. Do you, do you realize that is an American thing? Do you realize for centuries, whole generations and whole just generations or hundreds of years have, have not ever had food and air conditioning and safe water and safety from authorities, their own police or government? Do you, I mean, to this day, do you, do, we're 4% of the world's population. Do we realize, do we get that? Utter dependence on God for, for two-thirds of the world is the 50 years you get to live, or the 60. But here, it's an inconvenience on my life trajectory. Just, just know that that's American. And you're not bad. God, God placed you here. God, God put you here. They're, they're, with great um, grace comes great responsibility, but we've got to just be aware of that. that. That's not the norm for everyone else. So look at this lifeline here. You may have had that psychology class, Lifespan. It kind of shows you that through, through life, um, you know, things will change. You will change through the span of life as different things come into your life. and They hit your life and things change. And I remember going through it and just like, oh, that's not going to be me. Like, no, that wouldn't happen. Oh, that wouldn't happen. I'm, I'm going to be healthier. I'm going to be, do better. When you see, so just next time you go to Walmart, next time you go out shopping, Costco, and you see the people in that little motorized cart, just, just know that. I mean, that may be you at 55. And you may think, no, I'm going to be really healthy. Like, I jog, Sankey. Well, maybe you're the one wearing out your knees. And so whatever it is, when you see those people, just look around and go, man, I'm thankful for today that that's not me. Because there's, there's things that happen. There's things that hit. And we want to think, no, no not me. That won't happen to me. Um, how many times are you in for utter dependence on God? So on the screen, I've got these these three things. Oh, maybe around my 20s, you know, kind of a little identity crisis. Who am I? All this stuff. And I got out of my mom and dad's house. And so in my 20s, kind of this big identity cry. Who am I? And my identity. And then maybe in my 30s, there'll probably be something up there, some small little thing that we'll face. And then, you know, then your health, obviously, you get to your 70s or 80s. You know, so there it is. There's my life trajectory. That, that's what I'm signing on for. That's my view. That's my trajectory. But how many times are you in for utter dependence on God? Um, because you are um, 
completely crushed emotionally, mentally, spiritually, physically overwhelmed? How many times are you in for? Because this may be, the next screen may be what God's view is. What does the verse say? I need to do some things to make you rely not on yourselves. Is that the Christianity that you bought into? There's your time to come on down the aisles. Here's your altar call. Who wants to follow Jesus? Well, not that Jesus. So just believe with your heart and confess with your mouth. Repeat this prayer after me. You see why sometimes that doesn't take? Because God's got this. That's not a God that I want to follow. That's not a God I want. So we see these things where Paul uses um, this expression, it makes us rely not on ourselves but on God. And notice the repetition that Paul uses there. Three times he uses this word delivered. He has delivered us. He will deliver us again. I'm sorry, he will deliver us and then he will deliver us again. Three times he uses that, past, present, and future. So what he's going through now, he's going, he's going to deliver us, and then he will deliver us again. All three of those. Um, so think through your version of that life trajectory. Are you okay with that second view where that may be God's plan? Sometimes he may pile up three, four, five, six things in, in, in a year. Didn't plan on that child's diagnosis, didn't plan on going to the doctor and them telling me this is going on inside my body, didn't, didn't plan on that car wreck, didn't plan on my parents going through this situation, didn't plan on this happening with, with, with children, didn't plan on my neighbors or my job, didn't plan on a pandemic. God's not surprised. He told us, don't be surprised when you're going through these fiery trials. So where are you looking to that? Paul ends this little section here in verse 11. You also must help us by prayer so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessings granted us through the prayers of many. So Paul says, you also must help us. This would seem like a contradiction if what you just told us was it's all a supernatural thing and we're looking, in our afflictions, we're looking to Christ and it's through Christ that we find our comfort. Well, then what's prayer? How, how, is that a contradiction? Because I thought it was only God who strengthens us. Notice the, the, this ongoing mystery of God's sovereignty of allowing affliction, allowing good things, and allowing bad things. At the same time, man's responsibility uh, of prayer. And so God uses that, that powerful picture of man's responsibility. Um, it would seem like it's a paradox of God and his mighty power using his power and man's responsibility together. God's sovereignty and God's provision of prayer mixed in with man's responsibility of prayer. So we, we see that mysterious power. Um, Paul assumes their desire to pray for them. You must help us by prayer. And those who are suffering, going through affliction, will be able to give thanks to God for the prayers of many. So um, this goes to those bigger questions of, if God is a good, good father and is all loving and he knows what is best for us, then what is it that God believes we will profit from by allowing afflictions? 
goes to that deep, deep question. Why is a good, good father allowing me to go through this? And Paul has answered that in verse 5 there, that we get God in this. You've got to recognize, I have a change of mind that this is connected to my following Christ, my union with Christ. It's connected to being brought into the family of God. It is Christ's sufferings that I'm going through, not earning anything for me, but it's a, a part of being identified with Christ. And in the middle of that, I look to Christ. We're going to see in 2 Corinthians 3, we're kind of a, a, one of the focal verses of this at 3.18, where, where he's saying that if you're beholding Christ, you're being changed and transformed. If you're gazing and beholding at Christ, you're becoming more Christ-like. If you're not beholding and gazing and you're looking for other things for answers, you're not becoming more like Christ. You're not being more transformed. And so Paul just does a great job here as we face affliction and suffering as believers to give us the example of what he and his crew had went through and also to tell us what he learned from that. So in closing, what are the things that you're facing right now? Are they issues of suffering due to your own sin or a hardened heart? An unteachable heart? Is it pride, like the Corinthians? Or are some of the things that you're facing currently tied to your identity in Christ? Therefore, they truly are Christ's suffering. So just think through what you're facing right now, the difficulties, the sufferings, the afflictions you're going through. If you're facing some things, be able to distinguish, is this because of my idiotic choices and sin and just natural consequences of sin? Or is it because this is, this is from following Christ? And if so, then the help in that is that he has available and abundant resources for you, supernatural resources through the Spirit. If it's just your silly choices, he has forgiveness also. Can you see how beautiful that is on both sides? You're making idiotic choices, sinful choices. I have forgiveness and grace for you. This is, you're not being disobedient. You're, you're being faithful and being afflicted because of faithfulness. And I can be a God of comfort for you in the middle of that. And you may stay in the middle of the situation. So in closing, the last thing there is those questions that I would put before you. And so now you can see why those questions really have a lot of ramifications. How can I be captivated by the Jesus of the cross? Now we have a, a broader view of his sufferings being part of that when I'm obsessed with pride and self-seeking and comfort. Hey, Corinthians, you're all about your own comfort your own self-seeking. You're all about pride. You're not, you're not really truly following Christ. Here's what it would look like to be following Christ. Here's my example. Here's my life. Here's what I look to in the middle of this horrific life. So how can I be captivated by the Jesus of the cross when I'm obsessed with pride, self-seeking, and comfort? And then what implications does that truth have on me loving Christ and making him known to others? I want to give you some time just to respond as we, before we go into the Lord's Supper. Um, just being a place where you can talk to others. If there are some things that you're going through as a family, as an individual, I, mean, I would encourage you to reach out. This is what Paul was saying here is um, you definitely have God and you have the Spirit, but also you have us. And, and the comfort that we have experienced, that's for you also. And we, the reason that God did that is so that you could hear that from us. And that comfort that we're going to point you to is God himself. So I would encourage you, if you're going through things like that, if, that, if that's just a coldness in your relationship with the Lord, if that's, if that's some suffering and some affliction you're going through, reach out to some people. Let some people know. Um, it may be in the context of 12 people sitting around in a small group. It may have get, be getting with someone for coffee and just sharing, really, here's what's going on. 
Um, that's what the body of Christ should be like. So I'll give you a couple of moments just to pray and respond in your own time uh, to what Paul said there for you to pray through that and to respond to that. And then we'll go to the Lord's Supper.